Hello and welcome to this third chapter of our podcast series on 2021 predictions. My name is Chris Pope, VP of Innovation here at ServiceNow, and I'm joined again today by Mike Bugembe. Mike, welcome. Hello, Chris. Good to hear from you again. You too, my friend. Now, this one, this one's in your wheelhouse, my friend. This one's all about data. So uh, I'm expecting big things, all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, here we are. We all know sort of the coronavirus legacy, if you will, right? And sort of what it's happened, what it's forced on us, whether that's remote working and, you know, the change in business models and, and, and the way we're all now working differently, right? This reality that we're all in. And, you know, at the same time, we're creating masses of data, maybe even data that we haven't seen before, uh, maybe at a scale that we haven't seen before in terms of, you know, the applications, the services, the platforms, user behavior, even uh, in terms of, you know, what we're actually doing. And I guess the big question is, you know, it's real. Is it usable? Is it game changing? I don't know. Right. Um, you know, what are we seeing that we maybe we haven't seen before that this has given us this acceleration or this growth and expansion? Um, you know, probably, I guess, yeah, most of 2020, if not since March. Um, you know, how do you see that? What what's sort of changed or what's different? So I think um, uh, the, the big thing that stands out for me is that we've been producing data for a long time and uh, we've had an explosion of data when we had the term big data come to sort of to fruition. Um, now, typically, when that's been used in the machine learning world, we've been using a lot of historical data to either do predictions or to automate certain um, activities. But the key thing there was historical data. And what 2020 has shown us is, you know, history is as good as, as history, but you need current data um, in order to make the really accurate predictions. You need current data to be able to, let's say, even keep um, artificial intelligence and data to operate within the ethical boundaries of society. So we had the uh, exam results, if you remember that, that uh, <laughs> uh, the algorithm there, you know, uh, and the decision to use purely historical data, whereas we're in a world that is changing so rapidly, the consumer behavior itself in 2020 is completely different to consumer behavior in 2019. Historical data is redundant. We really need current data to be able to do that. And I think that's the, the key thing is that data is always changing, always evolving, and actually you really need to main, remain current um, with, with the data and your historical data, whilst it used to be valuable, not if the consumer uh, um, behaviors are completely different today. So that's the big thing that for me that, that's really come out is that is current data is so much more valuable. Yeah, no, I think that's a great insight. And it's, you know, we, you know, here at ServiceNow, we, you know, we, we've got our capabilities around AI, machine learning, predictive, and so on. And I think, you know, what's really interesting for me is we've gone from, or have the opportunity, I should say, to go from that classic, hey, Mike, here's last month's reports. You're okay on some, not so good on others. Let's hope we get better in 30 days time. And, you know, fingers crossed that the things we want to change and improve will happen. Whereas I think now, you know, if you fast forward, it was, well, you know, where were we? Where are we? Yeah. Where am I going to be? If I continue at this rate or this churn or this level of performance, whatever it is, I'm probably going to fall off that cliff sooner than 30 days time yeah. when that thing changes again. Right. So how do you start looking at that and saying, you know, a little bit like a, you know, a runaway horse or a bull or whatever you want to call it. Right. You know, how do we harness that? And it's one thing to, to have it but then 
you know, what do you do with it? Where do, where do you sort of go next, I guess? I think that's that's a great question because it also speaks to a podcast that we talked in talked about uh, a subject actually we talked about previously um, about leadership understanding new technologies and a shift in technology shift in knowledge amongst leaders because data is an asset but it only becomes valuable when you know what to do with it you know and uh, if you can't transform it into either insights or um, you know uh, predictions or um, automate certain activities. Then, then it's just sitting there, not really generating any value for you. So you need to educate um, execs to understand exactly what they can do with the available data. An easy framework I like to use is we often talk about the term data for decision-making, um, but very rarely do we then try and ask ourselves, what are the key decisions we need to make to achieve this goal? <laughs> uh, so I would really urge organizations to think quite hard about the decisions that they've got to make and the decisions that they're focusing. Because then you can say uh, a very easy next step is to say, then what do I need to know in order to make that decision? And that's when you look at your current data. So there it adds value immediately. Once you know the decisions you have to make within your respective department or vertical or in any of them, and trust me, this applies everywhere, whether you're HR, even IT, any of those sort of places, once you know the key decisions you need to make to achieve the goals within your respective vertical or your respective department, where data adds value literally just drops out onto the paper. You know, so. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Is We've spent a lot of time sort of, I don't know, trying to harness and gather all this data and create these massive data lakes and, you know, with endless capacity almost to bring in more and more data sources in. And that's great. But, you know, it's kind of like looking in a neat, looking for the needle in the haystack when you don't know what a needle is in the first place. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. What if you find 50 of them? Well, I don't know. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think the way we look at it is sort of, you know, you can put data in, on any platform anywhere. But if it doesn't give me the insight or decision making, that's one key. And what we're always trying to do is how do you inject it into a process mm. so that you can truly make those informed decisions? So maybe you're in the middle of, a, you know, the classic sort of firefight, major incident, there's an outage, there's an issue, a pandemic maybe. Mm. You know, what does the data tell me? And I can make smarter decisions, not emotionally led ones or who's shouting the loudest or so on. Or maybe, you know, in some more sort of steady state where I actually want to respond to a customer service request or you know if I understand better based on Mike's usage habits maybe Mike's been vocal on social media maybe Mike's you know um, been late paying his bill every now and again or, or whatever it is or Mike's shown a propensity to buy more when he has a good experience with customer service maybe that helps me guide you know I kind of I, I kind of look at it sometimes like we we sort of know the answers we want but we don't know the question to ask. Yeah, yeah, right. That, that's a huge point. Look, look at the fangs, right? So the Facebooks, the Amazons, Netflix, and so forth. Um, the, the one thing that they have that's very different to many organizations is that overall, if you were to do a literally data literacy score amongst all the employees, they would be heads and shoulders above everybody else. So when you join Facebook, you get two weeks um, uh, understanding how to work with data, right? And the first whole week is dedicated to understanding how to interrogate data. So what questions to ask? I don't know many organizations that take time to make sure every single employee knows how to ask data the right questions. 
because you're totally right. You even, and this applies to analysts too. You can be the greatest analyst in the world. You can write amazing code if you're a data scientist. You can, you know, find ways of pulling out really great insights. But when is, it's only relevant if you've asked the right question. Um, and if you don't know how to ask the right question or how to interrogate data correctly, you're wasting time, you're wasting money. Uh, and to be honest, that's that's a resource that's being put through a whole bunch of processes that it does then just doesn't yield anything other than that was interesting, which you hear 80% of the time, you know. Um, so really, we need to make that shift. You're, you're totally right. And further down the value chain, and which is more of a business thing focus than than it is a technical one. You know, it's being right. able to ask the right questions. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's really interesting, like, because even if you look at, let's just say, you know, you use the great Google machine, most people just type in what they're looking for. But when you can actually use expressions and combination of search terms, yeah, it's a bit bonkers. Yeah. Yes. You, you know, okay, you might not get 50 trillion hits, you might get 1 trillion, but you'll get a lot better ones. Yes. Right. But who knows how to use, you know, Boolean operators and things like that. The average person doesn't. Right. Um, and I think it's the same, you know, where, you know, we've got a lot of process data at service now of how, you know, organizations of who digitally transform, say their procurement processes or whatever it may be. And you know what we've started looking at is, can you mine that process? And it's one thing to draw the pretty picture and say, well, actually, you know, it, it kind of goes like this and A to B to C and D, and it's not as linear as we think it is. But within that, you know, what does the data tells us? The data tells us that, you know, Chris is a pretty tardy approver. He sits on requests too long. That's the bottleneck in the process. It's not yeah. that, but it could be that, you know, how do we enable Chris to actually do approvals? Yeah. Is it he has to be on some secure network or VPN and he can only do it this way or that versus if we've invested the time and money in a good user experience and maybe through mobile or voice or, or whatever, right? There's so many channels, maybe that will help solve the problem. The approval process isn't broken, but because we haven't enabled Chris well enough to do what we want him to do, it, it manifests itself, I guess, in a different way. You know what you're talking about there, which is really interesting, is that when whenever we get new technologies, there's winners and losers, right? And and I think in the losers camp, we tend to say, oh, it's people who haven't learned how to adopt it very well. Actually, I think there's more to it. I think it's understanding that, you know, technology on its own is still not the answer. We, we, we mustn't forget that as humans, we still bring a lot to the party, even with regards to uh, the world of artificial intelligence. So it's really, how do we get that mix right of human plus machine to, to really, you know, get that working? So when you talked about the process you, you, you were mentioning, I, I, it's easy to blame the tech and it's easy to blame all those sort of things. But actually you could even just say the design, the behavioral economics that was considered when it was being built hasn't been set up in a way that actually makes you a very regular user of it and 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 <laughs> excites you to finish the process you know and there's lots of little hacks and you can see some of these the fangs again referring to them what they're really doing right now is getting a strong mix of people with not just the technical data science skills but also people who understand human beings you know um, because when you embed those two things together you get transformational tech products, you get transformational things in data. So I actually think when we go into 2021 and everybody goes digital, the winners will be those that 
can, can understand the right degree of those ingredients to put in the right amount of uh, machine and uh, the right amount of human and which of those bits in which order and which sequence it's like it's like cooking you know we we, we have all the ingredients everyone's going to take all the ingredients but they, we won't all come out with the best cake <laughs> thinking of another thing yeah but yeah you know uh, don't start talking about cake please <laughs> we need to get to the end of this or we might shortcut it quickly um so it's really interesting you know and i look at that data and try to understand it and i guess more than anything now we've probably got more useful or insightful let's call it behavioral data mm. in terms of you know how people are working even time a day and, you know, within the limits of what you can gather and what you can monitor, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be interesting then to look at, you know, work-life balance and different things like that. You know, there'll be, now that we're in this reality of, you know, I have two children that still go to school, one at university, my wife works two days a week and so on. You know, the, the patterns of usage I have are often predicated based on other things going on around me that are at home that if I jumped in the car, drove to the office, I wouldn't have had those things going on around me. Right. Yeah. But also I also weave things into my day now that, you know, if you looked at a pure usage report, it might look I'm particularly unproductive at certain times of the day, but I'm walking the dog I'm taking the bins out. I'm going to piano practice with the, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, it's going to be interesting to see how we can use that data for good to manage our teams. Yeah. And do we, do we then think about you know those roles that those people do that you know and if you're in a shift based system you got better insights that mornings work better for me versus evenings versus you know whatever it may be i i do think that you know we, when the term you use data for good uh, we tend to look at it outside of our organizations and we think our oh, data for good because we can help the poor we can help you know the charitable aspect but hang on, there's a lot of good that the data can do internally as well in terms of employee well-being, performance. You know, if, if we can predict outside, so there's a, a company called the Black Dog Institute can predict who is likely to feel, um, to suffer from mental illness and therefore increase their propensity to commit suicide. Why can't we do things like that internally and find that, you know, who is likely to be unproductive or or who as an individual and you can do this right now, by the way, there's enough data too because I've read some experiments on it. Who Who is who is a toxic individual at work? You know, yeah. at every time their presence, their mere presence reduces productivity, yeah. whether they've communicated with people or not, just their presence, you know, and things like that. How do you improve on those situations so that the company really begins to take a look at how do I help people be the best that they can be and therefore produce rather than just look at the output, 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 that actually there's ways and there's enough data to be able to do that. So for example, there was a great academic paper and I'm so sorry, I can't remember the name, but they managed to prove that if they had two days worth of activity data, they can pretty much predict everything that you're likely to do as a, as a, as a person, just two days. Worth. Wow. <laughs> you know, um, and that's what we've got to, you know, and so it's, it becomes really, really interesting Like even now your propensity to pay a bill when you said you said that earlier, they can determine that from your handwriting, you know, um, <laughs> and a really interesting anecdote I saw there, if you write in capitals, you're, you're very likely to have a poor credit score. So <laughs> apparently. <Wow. laughs> now, anyone listening to this is rushing away. Um, <laughs> Or I'm suddenly going to learn how to work, write in script or something. So <laughs> it, it helps. Well, Mike, we're, we're kind of out of time. Brilliant. What a great way to end on that. So a huge thank you from me. 
thoroughly enjoyed this series and these chapters we've put together and you know some really interesting topics of what we've done and obviously your predictions for 2021 have been fantastic so thank you for that mike thank really you. appreciate it um and just signing off uh chris pope service now um hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast series with us talking about 2021 and our predictions uh and sort of where we're going and what we're doing feel free to engage with us and reach out to us through all the regular channels and if this has been interesting to you then we've done our job well so thank you and appreciate your time thank you